The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, I don't even know. I, I have no idea what to put for this week. We've Happy, lost uh, the basketball game and yeah. some other stuff. I don't know. Happy <clears throat> Chucks might die this week. Week. Although, did that vote already, like, get turned down? I saw it didn't get turned down. It got delayed. Yeah. To February, if I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. Right. Well, well, we'll get to that later. First, first and foremost, we can talk about you know the. I, I think we're, we're doing everyone a favor by putting the Syracuse stuff front loaded. That way, if you don't feel like finishing this podcast with the non-Syracuse stuff, which sometimes creeps up, or and by sometimes I mean all the time, um, you you get at least thirty minutes of solid orange talk. I think that's that that's a fair compromise for everyone. No. I think that works. Yeah. So uh, Syracuse lost to North Carolina on Monday. Um, it wasn't close. Then it looked close for a second. Uh, and then it finished yeah. not close. Yeah, I mean, I think what we actually have it down to three at one point, like midway through the second half. Yeah, it was like three or four. It actually kind of reminded me of last year's uh, Final Four game, to be honest. Like, where, like you, Cooney you... put on the superhero cape for like a three-minute stretch, and, and then it all went shit. Yeah. Um, a weird game. Like, like SU played... Pretty good offense in the second half, but just could not get a stop. I think there was what, what a point where Syracuse is like scoring like almost every time down the floor and somehow not not gaining on UNC for a while. Like, nope. it was a bizarre. It was a bizarre game. Um, UNC is just a lot better, which uh, I think we knew going in. So nothing too shocking. It would have been a nice one to pick up in our uh, effort to climb the the mountain that we've uh, put ourselves at the bottom of, uh, or I guess out of the hole that we've dug ourselves is a better metaphor. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing too shocking. Um, we kind of, it seems like we kind of know what team we have now. It's a very short rotation. It's just surprise, surprise everyone. Um, one that's like weirdly efficient offensively, but the defense is just nowhere near where Syracuse fans are accustomed to. So, uh, and, you know, still struggling to really get the, I mean, they've had some nice, a couple, a pair of decent wins, but. They're going to need to pick up some big wins, I think. And uh, it's, you know, Monday was close for a bit, but they're, they're clearly a ways behind where, like, a UNC is. Yeah, and you know what? I, I feel like defense, yes, we gave up a, a ton of points against North Carolina, but I don't really feel like the defense was that bad, all things considered, um, against UNC. I, I felt like that was more a product of just they were, I mean, they're one of the best, if not the best, rebounding team in the country. Uh, they were just able to kill us on the glass. Obviously, if you're going to have Leiden at the five for extended periods of time, um, that's just kind of how it's going to go. Uh, but but I, I'd rather have him at the five since I feel like the offense and the defense rolled better. Um, but yeah, Coleman, whatever his knee issues, um, obviously not helping either. So having him and Roberson is kind of the guys that we have to rely upon um, more than anyone else. Um, in, in terms of the boards, that's... It's not sustainable, and, and, you know, this is what we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago when we started seeing Leiden at the five was that 
you can you can hang with most teams like this, but you're not going to be able to hang with a team like North Carolina that's 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 big in the middle and is able to crash the, the way they are. Yeah, I mean they beat us on the boards like just in terms of raw rebounds by twenty. Um, they had 18 offensive rebounds, uh, which is as many de- as we had defensive, which is not a good sign. Um, yeah, I mean, they just have a really, really nice front court depth, uh, and Syracuse does not. Um, and, and I agree that Leiden is probably the best option at the five. I, I really don't think that, like, even a healthy Coleman would have made a huge difference here. And that's like, you know, that's the list, unless you want to put Thompson at the five, which is not any better or different. Um, it's probably worse. So, probably worse. Yeah, I mean, it's no different in terms of, like, the size of the team. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, it was funny cause I think, uh, I was at a conversation with some people after the game. It's like, was it the worst case scenario that Tyler Lydon went nuts against like the best team we've played so far and Syracuse also didn't come close to winning? Cause like, I don't want to, I don't think it's right to root against Lydon having a good game like that. But if it, well, we've discussed like, if Lydon isn't going to have a huge season, maybe it ends up kind of doing this like hard reset thing with the scholarship numbers and the talent numbers and the depth. Um, Leiden's throwing 26 on 14 shots uh, against UNC uh, and driving seven boards. Not the best, if that is your hope. Um, but again, I think that puts you in a weird position to like root against your best player being good, which I don't know that I feel comfortable with. No, not at all. And, and we've said this too. Like, if Syracuse could bury whatever the hell the, the non-conference schedule was and, and play the way they've played, I think, since, since the first BC game... I think we'd be happy with that no matter what happens. If they make the NIT, great. If they don't, fine. If they go on some miracle run and get themselves to the tournament, even better. But I don't think... I don't really think that this this Syracuse team is going to revert back to what it was, um, you know, pre, pre-BC game. So I think since January 2nd, what, what we've seen from this Orange squad, um, and whether that means Tyler Lydon scores a lot or not, uh, I think the book's written... For him, in terms of scouting report, uh, NBA teams know what they would be getting out of him, and, and he's 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 played his way into a first round talent. Unless, I mean, I I don't know what could play him him out of the first round at this point, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of like how many people come out because it is supposed to be a deep draft. But you figure, you know, he can go and go to the combine, which he should, which everyone should, honestly. Like, there's no real reason not to, um, aside from the fact that it'll probably drive Bayheim crazy in terms of figuring out late scholarships. Um, but that's no one on the team's concern. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be tricky. Um, I think maybe the best you could hope now is that Battle stays, and Battle has like a huge second year, which I don't know that we've seen enough from. I mean, he's he's played pretty well in recent weeks, but um, I don't know that he's done anything that like jumps off the page as like a one and done type player. So maybe that's the hope. But uh, especially in a deep either draft, way, I think that that's the one caveat for him and Thompson is that they're they're guys who maybe in like a a, a crappier draft or, or a more shallow draft at least you know, get hot at the right time and suddenly you're playing yourself into a top 50 or so pick. But, yeah, I, I it looks like, knock on wood, that both of those guys can can stick around for the time being, which is kind of a necessity now based on what we're seeing from the incoming recruiting class and what we're seeing in terms of just the, the, pro, the you know, raw numbers of guys who are leaving. Yeah, I mean, assuming you're obviously losing Gillen and White, um, you're losing Roberson, you're losing Coleman, uh, you're, you know, you get Shukwu back, but who knows what he'll be. You know, maybe he turns, you know, maybe he's he's 20, uh, 2012 Fab Mello after Fab's freshman year and he goes nuts, but nice. I think that'd be nice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pen, put, uh, put it in pen. Um, 
So yeah, they, them staying is huge. If not, like then Syracuse has like a true rebuild year next year and needs to take a huge class, and then that's like then we're in like really uncharted territory um, in terms of like the team is going to be all freshmen, and that can be fun in like some ways. As you know, you, the expectations will be as low as possible, unlike this year when they were really not; they were quite high. Um, but it's still not what you want to see at the back end of Beheim's tenure. You want to see him competing for titles. Yeah, and and you know I think that's always at the backdrop of of this season and something that I am probably going to write about once the dust settles on this season and the recruiting class too is like this obviously paints a weird picture this plus the final fours paints a weird picture of the end of the Bayheim tenure Um, and it's one that I'm sure you know is is going to be intriguing and terrifying all at once Um, yeah I I don't know what to make of it all but there's still a lot of time I mean for all we know that Again, I doubt Tyler Lydon sticking around, but for all we know, something changes. He decides that he has more to play for at the co- at the collegiate level or whatever. Um, yeah, I I think that there's a lot of time still to play out in the season, and, and a lot of time still to play out in terms of these guys' college careers, whether it's one year, two years, or, or three years more beyond this one. Um, focusing ourselves a little bit on the immediate term, Dan, um, we have a very big game on Saturday. Um, at a place that we have not played particularly well, um, Notre Dame. They are, well, they're tied for first right now in the uh, ACC. They lost to Florida State tonight, which, Dan, do you think that helps our case or hurts our case if we have any shot of upsetting the Irish? Um, I don't know. Notre, I mean, along with Florida State, really, Notre Dame is probably like the surprise team of the ACC. I, I don't think a lot of people had them um, being all that great this year. I think they were kind of projected to be middle of the pack in the league. And uh, they look great. I mean, they're they play really they play better defense than they did last year. Um, they're super efficient offensively. They spread the floor like they always do. It's it's uh, it's actually a really fun team to watch if you can get by like the general hatred of all things Notre Dame that a lot of people have, uh, which probably not gonna be easy. But like, just look up and down the lot, uh, up and down the uh, the roster. It's a lot of names that you'll notice from these like last couple of Notre Dame teams which have done done well in the tournament which is a weird thing to say after uh, the entire history of Notre Dame before that. Um, but Bonzi Colson, just a really fun, uh, like, old-school, low-post player. Steve Asturia, who, you know, classic annoying white guy. Uh, Matt Farrell, uh, VJ Beecham, like, that's as good a, a one through four as, as you'll see. It actually kind of reminds me of, like, uh, maybe almost like those Virginia teams in terms of, like, there's not, no one, like, overwhelms you with, like, what they do uh, scoring-wise. Uh, obviously, you know. Those who watched the games uh, knew that they had some some great players like Brogdon and and uh, Joe Harris, but like but no one was really like group. right. It was a really well-rounded team and one like or even like I'm not going to say they're the 2010 Syracuse team, but like just in the way that that team had like six guys that all averaged what like 13 to 15 points. Um, this isn't that because they that team was American. yeah, but like you know there 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 are four super dangerous players and even like a Retz Fluger on the bench or. Uh, one of those other guys can, can come up and bite you a little bit. So um, it's a, it's a it's a good team, and the Joy Center is a really really difficult place to play, as Syracuse has learned uh, a number of times in big spots. Um, so I don't love Syracuse's chances, to be honest. And and it might, it's not even as much about Syracuse as it is. I think Notre Dame is actually really good. Yeah, I mean they're they're too good. That pisses me off. They become, and I'm not going to turn this into a Notre Dame <coughs> podcast, but I certainly. I feel like Notre Dame's turned a little bit of a corner. Um, I feel like not just us, but a lot of people just kind of 
doubt them uh, to no end every year when they have to replace big names and and kind of reshuffle the, the, the deck chairs. And yet for the past few seasons, um, Notre Dame's really managed to do it very well. Um, I mean, the last two Notre Dame teams, I'd say going into the season, overachieved. Um, maybe two years ago, not as much, but last year, definitely. Uh, Bray has become a, a coach who I think went from, you know, first round flameouts to a guy that, that really is, is knocking on the door of his first Final Four um, and and debatably maybe should have gotten it a couple years ago against that Kentucky team. I think the, the, the effort they put in against that Wildcat squad that, that was undefeated to that point um, was commendable. I felt like it kind of set up a little bit of a blueprint for what Wisconsin was able to do to them, Indianapolis in the Final Four. Um, in general, this Notre Dame team has found a way to, I mean, better than Syracuse, better than a lot of others, um, able to just kind of shuffle guys in and out uh, year to year. Uh, granted, they, I think they have a lot better. They have a lot better chance of having you know three and four year guys than, than Syracuse does at this point, and a lot of other power programs do at this point. But they've they created a system that works for them, um, and it's only a matter of time before they're able to break through. And maybe this is the year. I mean, this Notre Dame team does look very, very good um, in a lot of facets of the game. Um, they're not they're not an elite rebounding team, but they're not a terrible rebounding team. They seem to do everything just good enough. Um, and offensively seem to do things better than they have, at least in, in the last couple seasons. Yeah, I mean, the things that stand out to me is they have just a number of shooters, which is not a surprise. They've done that, you know, a lot recently. If they have four guys in their rotation over 40% as a team, they're just they're 39.5%. But the scariest part is that, and actually Syracuse is the same way. It's just hilarious that Syracuse is not great, um, and this is always the, uh, the Achilles heel. Uh, Syracuse shoots really, really well from the line. Uh, Notre Dame is right there. Um, and their top three guys, uh, their top three stores, Colston, Vesturia, and Farrell, all shoot over 86%. Uh, Steve Vesturia is 91.5% from the line, which is just ridiculous. Um, as a team, they're just under 83%. So, like, they, 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 they shoot well from every level. They're 47% from the field, 82.8% from the line, and 395 from three. Like, that's that's pretty damn good as a team. Um, and they spread the floor. They... they run a pretty attractive style um so yeah it's uh it's not going to be I, I i imagine this notre dame team will be pretty well situated to attack the, zo- the zone at least based on their makeup and the fact that they've they're not like the the classic like pit like feed it inside get it to the line take it back out um north carolina actually does a nice job of that as we saw um they kind of go for more of the bomb over the top approach and it either works really well or doesn't uh and we've seen you know both in like back-to-back years we've seen like Notre Dame will, will knock off a much more talented Syracuse team or then, like, lose by 25 a year later with the same roster. Um, but, uh, this, I mean, if that's going to be their strategy, this isn't the worst one to try that with. And then when you have a guy like Colson inside, um, I'm very worried about Wyden's uh, foul situation, which he's been pretty good about keeping manageable this year. But um, Colson will take you on the block, and he's kind of a bulldozer. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch. Undoubtedly, yeah. I, I think that this this is going to be a weird matchup. I don't think that... I think Notre Dame's shooting the ball well from three. I wouldn't say that they're thriving from three in the same way some other teams that have kind of picked us apart have. Um, you know, I, I think that there are some interesting matchups here. I think in general, you know, you're, you're going to be keying, on, keying in on, on... I think that this is almost the issue, and it's one you've kind of alluded to, that... There's no one you can really just kind of hone in on and say, like, you're going to be the guy that's going to kill us from three. 
Um, you know, it could be Farrell, it could be Beecham. There, there's a variety of other guys all hitting around the same percentage from three, and that's that's going to spread this defense thin very quickly. And yeah, I I think that that more than anything else is why I'm concerned is because there is no. I mean, not like we've we've made a habit of guarding that guy, whoever he may be, um, in, in terms of you know the hot three point shooter. But yeah, if you have multiple guys that could hit from beyond the arc, uh, it, it doesn't bode well for what this defense is, uh, has struggled with. Yeah, I mean, just overall, like, this defense, you know, it's it's not great. It's probably the worst one Syracuse has had in a while, and it's, I mean, it's, it's not hard to see why, just based on the inexperience in running the zone. So um, there have been moments where it's looked really good, and there have been, like, stretches where, like, even uh, in the beginning of the set, when, when Syracuse went on its run on Monday, um, it did a nice job of getting out in transition and forcing, you know, iffy shots and whatnot. But um, I, I, I just am not too uh, keen on depending on Notre Dame taking bad shots. I don't think that's going to be their game. So um, this one could be a rough one, or you know, we could see a weird thing. We've seen Syracuse teams beat teams that they shouldn't in the past, and we see weird games all the time. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, it, it's a good test because. If they do pick off Notre Dame, I mean that's a that's a really nice win. Um, well, that's the and, one that's eluded us to this point, and, and, and that's right. kind of where, like you know, I said the other day, and I know Ben did too on the site. Like that that's what kind of cools off any sort of can we make the tournament talk. I mean, even if we go six and six down the stretch and only beat the unranked teams, that's not a tournament resume. I don't care if no, not even close. Yeah, I, I don't care if, if you're a team that's that's sitting around like the seventeen fourteen mark with what will we have nine wins in the ACC at that point? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah so we, we'd, be, we'd be 17 and 14, we'd be 9 and 9 overall. That's not, that's not a tournament resume if you have losses to Boston College, St. John's, um, every ranked team you've faced, every road game you've played. There's just, there is no wiggle room if you don't win at least two of the ranked teams, which, like I said in that uh, post about SU ceiling, means you have to go 8 and 4. Um, and, and even then, there there are no guarantees this year with what looks like a very messy bubble. Eight and four, and I I still would not feel comfortable unless Syracuse won at least like probably like two games in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I think that's what I would do too. I think we'd be looking at eight and four. So you have to go ten and four down the stretch. Um, that would include at least three ranked wins, probably. Um, that puts you at. 21? I put you at 21 wins, which now we're talking about something. And I think 11 and 7 in the ACC at least raises some eyebrows. But yeah, I, I, I think in two weeks, if, we're, if we can still even mention this as a possibility, then maybe I start buying it. Um, until then, I, I think it's all a bit of a pipe dream, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, and that's, you know, uh, that's why I'm kind of comfortable just assuming that Syracuse, you know, I think we all know Syracuse is on the outside looking in, if you can even call it that, like maybe they're across the street looking at the house, Um, but uh, now I think think with that kind of sobering view, you can kind of uh, see it you know, lay these things out without getting overly optimistic. Because, like, there's no way I think we're going 10 and 4 down the stretch, but, like, in that universe, if that exists... Maybe that's what would uh, what would lead Syracuse back to the tournament, and I think it would help that people will freak out if Syracuse finishes in like what sits in the ACC or something and doesn't make the tournament. Uh, I think there will be a lot of people beating the drums for you know this team clearly 
uh, had all these transfers, had all these freshmen, peaked at the right time. Payheim knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah, and Payheim will be all over. Like He'll be on PTI like five times in March um, talking about his team. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully we get there. Hopefully we get we put ourselves in, an, in a position to get disappointed by the selection committee and not by uh, just our general mediocre team. Agreed, agreed. Um, before we get to halftime, maybe just a quick look at some ACC things in basketball. Um, that we can get to Dan and I's preferred topic of football. Um, in the second half, like we mentioned, Florida State knocked off Notre Dame tonight. Uh, Florida State is 17-2. and two. Uh, They're really good. Yeah, they're very, very good. Um, I know a couple of years ago we were talking about, you know, how they were bringing in better recruiting classes, and we weren't seeing that payoff in terms of um, an NCAA tournament resume or uh, tournament caliber teams. Uh, this is the payoff with that, obviously, um, when you have – you know, three or four very, very talented guys. I mean, Dwayne Bacon is the real deal. Everyone knew that going in. Um, I, I think Florida State looks like a top 10 to 15 team right now, and, and that should scare the hell out of us down the line. Um, Virginia, Virginia, Louisville, Duke, these are teams with two and three losses in league play. I don't think that that should scare you off from these teams also being top 15 caliber. I mean, we, we talked about it early in the year, and we said that, that you know, the, the depth at the top for, for the ACC was, was bar none best in the country. We included ourselves in that. Uh, the fact that we're not in that and that you could probably add a couple names to the list. Um, I mean, everybody in the ACC right now has at least 10 wins except for Wake and BC. Um, and those teams, like, well, I, don't, I haven't really watched much Wake, but BC is like... Better. They're not good. They're way better than they were last oh, yeah. year. Even, you know, and that's a team that, that, you know, obviously blew out Syracuse and then got blown out by Syracuse. But even in the, in the, the blowout loss, like, that's a much better team than BC's been since we joined the ACC. Oh, I completely agree. I think this BC team is, is miles, miles ahead. And, you know, Christian was going to get fired if – he still might. But Christian was going to get fired if they, if they endured another season like last year. Um, this might keep him around. If he can get them to around, if he can go twelve and nineteen, I think he stays. I would find it very hard to fire him, considering how bad things have been there. After seeing like pretty, I it might be a kind of a jump to say stark improvement, but it feels like stark improvement. Yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna go I, with stark. I'm gonna go with, with stark improvement. It's tough because they're like twelve and nineteen is not good, but it's so much better than what they were. They were. I think you got him at least another year if that happens. It's just, it's, it's tough, and I think that, like, this is the same issue that, like, BC's having with Adazio, is, like, you had a step forward, but was it enough of a step forward, given the schedule? Yeah, it, it's tricky, and and I'm sure BC fans are going to, like, freak out about 12 and 19, because it's not like they, um, you know, it's not like they were, were good two years ago. Like, it's, it's like, oh, this is marginally better than the already bad, like, and, and in the ACC, there's this expectation of, you know, uh, an ACC job opens up and you can go get a, a really good coach. And that, you know, Jim Christian was uh, okay higher at the time, but I don't think anyone else was, like, freaking out about it. Um, I mean, I thought the hi- hated it. Yeah. I thought I was more inspired by the hire before, uh, the former Cornell coach whose name is escaping me, um, who clearly didn't work. <laughs> um, we are a very well uh, fact-checked podcast here. Um, Facts I will only, no spin zone. 
<laughs> if we don't know a guy's name because he had a really nice year at Cornell where they went to the Sweet 16 and then was awful at Boston College, we will not pretend like we don't know his name, that we, that we do know his name. Um, <laughs> uh, who did the Pitt's in last place in the ACC. That's hilarious. Because Pitt's not that bad us. either. It, it's not great for us. Um, it's Steve Donahue. Oh, yeah. Which sounds like a Boston College coach. I'm shocked they haven't just, like, kissed and made up with Al's dinner. I mean... We're, he's at Tennessee State. Come on. Is he? Yeah, apparently. Owls rising. Owls, uh, their, their, uh, their football team launches this fall. Yes, that's a thing. That's a thing that, that is definitely in line with our, this general podcast. Yeah, Syracuse is <laughs> scheduled them now before it's too late. Uh, they're, uh, they're not jumping. They're, what, doing FCS for a couple years? Is that what the plan is? Well, they're not jumping at all. I just want them to schedule them from, like, an, like, like a, an assured win FCS standpoint versus what we've, like, done in the past with, like, oh, hey, let's schedule Villanova. But they're, they're just, they're in FCS right away, right? They're not, like, starting D2 or something? No. Uh, they're going to play, I think they're going to play a full-fledged FCS independent schedule this year. And then next year they'll be in the Southern Conference? Maybe, either Southern or something. I don't know, something like that. W- one of those leagues. I know it's not. I know it's not whatever the one that that you and I have marveled at before. Oh, the uh, the conference that has both like San Diego and the Pioneer Conference. Yeah, the Pioneer Conference, which is just like a fucking. As San Diego <laughs> and uh, was it Marist? San Diego, Marist, a bunch of others. Drake. The rapper Drake is also in the conference. He is. Yeah. His helmets have a mix of his face and the Toronto Raptors logo on them. Oh, my God. Fantastic logo. Um, <laughs> um, other weird things in the ACC. Um, Clemson's a good team, but they're 1-4 and four in league play. Uh, Virginia Tech is a better-than-us team, and they're 2-3 and three in league play. Uh, Which people did not expect because uh, they've been bad, and what's-his-name is, like, not Josh Pastner. Never really been a good coach. No, never. It's funny. I think Pastner's, like... Pastor really got by on, like, he looks like he's 15 and he's a guy after Calipari, and he's never actually won anything. No. He recruits okay, um, or he did at Memphis, uh, but maybe, like, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be really weird to me if he ends up being good at Georgia Tech. <laughs> like, it wouldn't make that much sense, because Memphis is a much easier place to win. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you there. Um, NC State is... is weird. He's probably going to fire Gottfried. That'd be really funny. It's Remember when Gottfried? This is like completely has nothing to do with anything. Remember oh, when, when Gottfried had it coached? First, oh, I thought you were gonna say when he pissed when, him on when we got there. Well, no, yes, but he did that when he had never actually coached in the ACC yet. Like he got hired and then was talking like he was like a twelve-year ACC vet. Like when he and Beheim had coached the same amount of games as an ACC coach. <laughs> that was a fun. That was a fun time. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna like. I don't. I don't really care for Mark Gottfried at all. Um, yeah, his team's really weird and enigmatic, and he recruits really well and then doesn't actually do anything with it. So that's fun. Yeah, like, it seems like he's actively trying to get himself fired now, which is odd. It's funny because it seems like they only, they only lose in, like, ridiculous ways, too. Oh, no. Entirely ridiculous ways. I, I, I agree. Um, what else do we have going on? I think that's really it for the ACC. It's, it's weird... I think the the team that wins this league is going to have four losses um, in, in conference play. Uh, yeah, 
I don't see how they don't like this. This it's too it's too uh, it's more of a gauntlet than we even thought. Yeah, and it's not even because like like we we all thought it was gonna be a dollar, but we also thought thought Duke was gonna be like this this huge thing. Um, Duke's a trash Duke fire is, is a total mess. <laughs> Okay. And with and you know they've had what seven or eight different guys miss times with injuries, including Allen, who also missed times with with you know his his other stuff. Um, they are not the uh, they're not what they thought. Though. They might rebound because they're super talented, but um, it's impossible to like project what they're going to being by uh, by the time the tournament rolls around. Yeah, I don't know what Duke is anymore. Um, obviously, you know this happened last time, Kay was out for health reasons um, where the team just kind of fell apart. I mean, they fell apart with, to a much larger extent last time than they are this time, but like between this, the Grayson Allen stuff, the injuries, th- there's a lot of reason to question the Blue Devils. Um, unfortunately, if everybody gets healthy and if Krzyzewski's back and also healthy and, and, and of sound mind and body and everything, Duke is, is, is the type of team, like, th- this feels like one of those idiotic Duke seasons where, like, Duke gets seeded as a four seed in the easiest, in the easiest bracket, and then just, like, completely tears through teams because they weren't seeded properly. That's definitely possible, which is, it's hard to balance because you don't know, you know, what happens if all those freshmen start playing out of their minds on, like, March 5th, and Duke has, like, the resume of a five seed, and they get, like, a one seed bumped up to a four and then they end up, like, just ripping through the tournament. You can't, like, say that they should have been a two just based on, like, you know, they are talented. Like, So it, it's tough. It's a tough spot. I would concur. Um, and I think that's a good place to uh, to start some halftime. So, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, let's see. We had not – I think we covered a lot of the interesting stuff uh, last week. I've just been kind of pulled by standards recently. The one new thing I did try was uh, – Sierra Nevada has like a tropical version of their Torpedo IPA, which is interesting. I saw that on shelves. I didn't drink it then. I, I think I like the regular one better. It's um, it's interesting though. I mean, it does does what it's supposed to be doing well. Um, it's I think it's almost like a little bit too uh, dry hopped and also a little bit too tropical. Like it tries to do both a little too much mm. for it to be like really good. But it's 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 worth a try. I mean, Sierra Nevada doesn't really make anything that's like bad, so. Cool. I think it was worth worth a shot at least. Yeah, I gotta see if there's any uh, any fresh versions of it sitting around. Um, some things for me. I popped down to uh, to Long Beach. Actually, saw um, La La Land, which I was impressed by, and also not impressed by at the same time. If that makes any sense. I, uh, well, overhyped or? I felt like it was overhyped, but it was also properly hyped. So like maybe so overrated it was underrated. I really enjoyed it, but it's like I I don't quite get where people are like spellbound by it. Right. Like I thought it was really good, really well executed. I think I probably a little hurt from like a not being like an actor kid, which I'm guessing is like a lot of it. Like if you grew up wanting to be an actor, I'm sure that movie hits you right. in a different like, place. Like if you love being romanticized by like a fictional version of Los Angeles and old Hollywood, then like this is the movie for you. Right, and I've also only been to LA once, and it was for like a hot minute, so it's not like I have that connection to the city either. The one thing they did very well um, was they gave a great PSA for our terrible-looking roads. Um, th- those were on full display throughout the movie. Um, for those familiar with our uh, decrepit 
uh, freeways, local streets, uh, things like that. I mean, they did they did film it all in L.A., so at least it got to put that on on there and um, showed you plenty of things you could do in L.A. besides the the touristy shtick. So that was a plus. Um, you, you can sit in traffic and then get an sign and dance number. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do when when you want to murder everyone else on the road while you <laughs> while you sit in traffic at two p.m. on a Tuesday, wondering why everyone else doesn't have a job? <laughs> anyway, back to the beer. Um, because I was down in Long Beach, I had to go to Beachwood, which I, uh, I talk about on here on a regular basis. Had a bunch of things from them. Had Hop Jitsu, Alpha Bomb, their Pale Ale. Uh, Tovarish, their uh, annual uh, Imperial Stout uh, with coffee, which is so, so good. Um, and then had uh, one of their new double IPAs, uh, Delusions of Granger. Uh, that was excellent. One of my favorite beers of the year so far. Uh, of the weekend, I had, um, you can probably find this near you, uh, Stone's Enjoy By uh, Chocolate and Coffee IPA. I think I've seen it. I haven't had it yet. It's but usually good. we can find the Enjoy Buys. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty weird. It's like the only thing Stone really does well anymore is the Enjoy Buys because um, the uh, expiration date on the label prevents them from sitting on the shelf for months on end. Um, had New Belgium's Hoppy Blonde uh, Whizbang that, uh, that I was surprised by. It was actually pretty good. Um, had Aurora, which is uh, Modern Times' Rye IPA. And then also, uh, while I was watching the... Uh, the end of some of the playoff games over the weekend uh, popped into Simsy's down in Manhattan Beach and had a uh, Browage West Blonde uh, My First Rodeo. It was again another hoppy blonde that I had kind of as a uh, as a nightcap. So yeah, it was a uh, it, it was it was a good week. It wasn't like a it wasn't an aggressive week like last week. That was all birthday drinking though. So uh, so I think I can be forgiven for for dropping off a little bit. Sounds good. I mean, well, I guess if uh, if we actually do talk about Chucks here, we this is going to be a slightly more alcoholic than normal podcast. Yeah, why don't, why, why don't we talk about Chucks a little bit? We can, uh, we I'm can actually reading through the comments on your post, so that was like, well, might as well get into this. The comments on the post are actually pretty good, especially when we say Orange Man Fighter of the Nightman uh, had the entertaining uh, Sean is dead meme. <laughs> I don't think I've actually gotten there yet. It's like close to the bottom, where... Uh, Sean and I actually started expanding upon it on uh, on Twitter about if you had a movie about a posthumous movie about Sean, what would it be? So I said it would be called Haven Can Wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Sean went with uh, Shine On, which uh, also good, but I'm I'm partial to my joke at the moment. Uh, there's so many. How have we not had like a straight up just like Syracuse dorm pun thread at some point? Uh, that's definitely an off-season topic, and and my off-season is going to be different than Sean's for sure. It's going to be. A lot it might already be. It may already be the off-season based true. on this basketball team. <laughs> this is basketball team. The fact that the uh, the lacrosse team has like its lowest preseason ranking in quite a while, which means they'll probably make the final four. Yeah, whatever. That's we haven't been there in a couple of years, so it's time to go back. Um. So yeah, um, Chucks. The uh, that New Jersey uh, real estate development firm proposed that they're going to knock down 727 South Cross Avenue. For those who are not familiar with campus geography and addresses, uh, that is the building that houses uh, Chuck's Cafe as well as Funkin' Waffles. 
Um, Funkin' Waffles isn't getting the same press as Chuck's, and I feel bad about that. Um, I went to Funkin' Waffles a few times and had a great time there. Uh, had some great food, some great... I think they had beer there. Um, and I saw a couple good bands, including one that did uh, Nintendo theme song covers once. That was really good. Um, but yeah, if... I, w- I tried to make the point in the article today that while I was annoyed that Chuck's could disappear, um, so many other bars have come and gone before it, and it doesn't erase kind of the experiences we had there and kind of traced it back to the idiotic save cues nonsense from a couple of years ago. Um, people seem to uh, like talking about it because it brings together a lot of different age groups in the comment section um, of the bars that they had, and it seems that you know, every 10 years, there's a pretty hard reset on the Marshall Street bar scene, and, and we're, we're coming up on that that reset, it would appear, uh, for, for this uh, this 10-year stretch. Yeah, I think you outlined it pretty well in the post, uh, and we talked about it, like, on the back end, and I think on Twitter, people did. Um, like, people that weren't of drinking age between, like, 08 and 2013, I think is probably about right, um, really didn't get, like, or they all, like, said, oh, Chuck sucked, or Chuck's is gross, or whatever, and those aren't necessarily false the thing was like it was all true then but there was also a good portion of it that balanced that out well the thing is like the bar fundamentally wasn't that different i when the new ownership came in like in 2014 or whenever like they changed the menu up a little bit and they changed some stuff and they fired some people but like those weren't like fundamental changes but it was if you were there that time and then a couple years after you graduated like you could go in there pretty much any time and see people you knew and it was just like such the communal bar and it was just very special for that reason. It was like, you, it was no game planning or figuring out, um, like, what you were doing on a Friday. Like, you were going to Chuck's, you were going to see 30 people you knew, you probably showed up with four of them, and you were going to, like, it was just, you know, it was it was the community. Like, that's what it was. It was like your Syracuse uh, play, gathering spot, and that was why it was special. It was nothing really, I mean, the, the drinks were cheap and, and no, better than no. DJs, and the music was... Uh, solid and the food was cheap as well um, and it was better than DJ's and it was you know Fagan's is I love Fagan's but it's like not quite the right vibe for the undergrads at Syracuse so um, I think just for that time period like because the, that was the bar that people decided for whatever reason at some point that that was where everyone was going to go that's why you know you have this really emotional attachment where other people are like repping for Conrad's and 44's and, and Darwin's and whatever else like I didn't know any of those bars. They, none of them existed. Like, in 2018, there's a good chance that Chuck's will just be a memory, or it'll be some new bar in some other part of Marshall Street that resembles nothing like the old Chuck's. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm I'm all with, like, you know, we, we can say save Chuck's and whatever, but even when I go now, uh, and hope I'll probably make myself go to Chuck's when I'm up there in a couple weeks, um, just because who knows if I'll be able to after, uh, it's not the same, because you don't know... 75 people there like it's just not the same vibe um the music's a little different and your name isn't on the wall the same place it was and you know it's just you know it's mostly it's mostly about you it's not as much about the bar right did the music fundamentally change or is it just kind of different because the music is always a highlight for me um it's been hit or i mean I, i'm not there consistently anymore there have been nights where it seems like the same it always ended. they still ended the same i think i think they still ended with closing time followed by end of the road which it should always end in um, because there's nothing else. Uh, but I think there were other times where it was a little more top 40, which I wasn't as into. Just like, just like this really fun uh, blend of like 90s nostalgia plus like just enough like current pop stuff plus 
then you knew exactly what the last like five songs were going to be because they were the same every night. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if it stays open, I'll be happy. But if it closes, like I think you outlined well, it's it's uh, it's not going to like take away the you know however many weekends in a row you went there uh, in 2012 uh, graduating. <laughs> like I mean, I, I don't know that there was a week my second semester senior year that I didn't I wasn't at charts probably. <sighs> probably more than probably more often like three times a week but at least once like i'm sh- i don't know that there was a week that i wasn't there at least once and it was because like it was very reliable it was a reliable place where you could go see a lot of friends even once you didn't plan to see and that was like half the fun of it it wasn't like well, we had to get these people together it's like nope we're going there and whoever's there is there and we are going to have a good time and who knows what the heck's gonna happen from there yeah and on a college it's a theater to drink well, 350 did. pictures of honey brown which is gonna happen for sure. Uh, uh, you know what? And like, and that's the thing. I try to tell this to people, and I know you know this living in New York now. I know this living in San Francisco and L.A. after after college. Like, the reliability of you knew you're gonna get you knew you're gonna get a crappy beer, but you have to pay twice as much for that crappy beer post grad. Like, oh, way more than twice. <laughs> that's also true. Yeah, I just feel like yeah, like even on the cheapest night at a bar in New York or L.A. or San Francisco, it's gonna be twice to three times as much. I think. For me, like it was more. It wasn't about. It was about the memories. It was also about the fact that yeah, on a college drinking budget. And for me, like I was paying for everything myself based on whatever I made for my internship that previous summer. Like, yep. <laughs> you had to make it last, and the best way to make it last was to show up at a place like Chuck's, um, and you know, I mean, sometimes drank more often than not. But for me, like I, I was there from the time I turned twenty-one, which was like the first weekend of. Uh, second semester of junior year, I was there without without fail every single week from that time until I graduated. Yeah, I mean, I was there from, like, I think the minute I turned 21, like, the what I think it was a Sunday night into a Monday morning. Um, we just, I rolled up there at, like, 11.55, <laughs> and uh, that was, yeah, pretty much, and that was my senior year. I, I turned it early senior year, like, second week. Um but it just, it, that's what it was. Like, that's why it's very special to people of a certain, a very specific age where, like, if you were graduated in 06, like, it might have been there. I don't, I don't remember what it officially, like, reopened. But it wasn't, like, I don't think it was the the, no, the place. It turned into. And it's funny, too, yes. yeah, because, like, the people I knew, like, the sophomores I knew when I got to campus that had fake IDs would, would like, we're talking a little bit about Chuck's second year. Everybody, everybody loved new Chuck's. I know. I remember one night in particular. It might have been like the NFL draft, my senior year, where I decided like we. I don't know why we decided we were watching it there, but like we were. I think it was the first time it was like started on Thursday night or Friday night. The first year where they put the first round on its own night. Yeah. So like we decided to watch it there, and like it was such a chill night. They were playing like, I think they played through like the entirety of Taking Back Sunday's Tell All Your Friends. Wow, just like, charts as a bar was working through some stuff. <laughs> yeah, working through some stuff. So just like, man, just had to get really angry about it. But you know what? Fantastic album, first of all. Um, but yeah, they, they, they played through like that album in its entirety. And then I just like kind of sat there like with my buddies and my now wife, like just plowing through Miller Lite pitchers. And... <laughs> now I really want to know who at Chuck's is like, if you were, again, during that time period, like the, the I don't think the, the bar staff changed. I think it was all the same people um, the whole time. And that's one of the big controversial things that happened when they changed ownership is like they, they fired like a bunch of people that were very notable um, bartenders and bouncers and whatever. I just want to know who of that group really needed to hear Ghost Man on third wailed uh, throughout the bar. <laughs> 
That album was so good. That bar was so good. And before I get like sad, we can move on. I'm going in March, thankfully. Uh, so even if it is on the way out, I-, I will be able to give it one last, one last goodbye. I doubt I'll be able to find my name anywhere on the walls or. I've always found it when I've gone in, but I signed like a couple different places, and I think there's one that remains somewhere. I don't remember where it is now, so that's not helpful. Um, I might have to like maybe I'll bring a sharpie. Maybe I'll sign the wall in it before it goes down. That's not a bad idea. I should probably do the same. I gotta get there early though, like before the undergrads show up, because I'm gonna get angry if like. I just, I don't like being around crowds anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was there once, like, the last time I was there, I think, we, I was actually with Andy Bradler of for fans of the site, um, and we actually had a decent time, that was since we had, like, a big enough group, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, because it's, like, really no different than probably what it was in 2012, like, in terms of, like, numbers, but it's a big difference when uh, you're not there with, like, 30 people that, you, that you're with, that you know, uh, it's like, oh, who are all these, these children? Yeah, and that's, like, that's how I'm gonna feel, and I'm like, I'm definitely a get off, your, get off my lawn type. But also, like, at one point, and this is like the last I'll talk about Chuck's. Um, like, three or four different times, my in-laws, my now in-laws, went with us to Chuck's, and like, and they had a goddamn blast, like the entire time. Like, that's the type of place it was, and I know that's not the type of place it is anymore. But to me, like, there's very few college bars that could probably pull that off. Of, like, oh, I always loved. I always loved being, like, next to a table of, like, people I probably didn't know, but, like, there was always, like, someone's dad had too much fun at charts and was, like, dancing when no one else in the entire <laughs> bar was dancing. That happened, like, a good, like, probably once a month, and it was always a highlight, because everyone would just be sitting there watching this dude, and it's like, yep, someone brought their dad to Chuck's, and he didn't know what he was in for, but now he does. <laughs> no, like, my, my in-laws bought us, like, a couple times they went, they just, like, bought us drinks for the night, and it was, like, and, like, they even joked, because my brother-in-law went to San Diego State, and they said when they took him and his friends out for drinks, you know, it was like a $100 plus night. They took us out for drinks in Syracuse and they, you know, everyone would be like pissed drunk in the group for like 40 bucks. And that, that was always a highlight for them. Yes. So if you do disappear, we will miss you, Chucks. And well, I'll be up there for the Virginia game in a couple of weeks. So I will hopefully get at least one more uh, Twitch visit. Um, I'll probably get annoyed really quickly and leave, but <laughs> I'll at least get in. I will promise my, I'm going to force myself to say we have to go in and whatever happens once we're in there, we'll figure it out. Same, same. Um, okay. So our topic for the probably last part of this podcast, um, recruiting. Dan, things have gone well of late and also not so well. I know we lost a couple of guys in the last few days. Uh, we also picked up, um, a couple of Juco guys in the last month. Um, I know that Ravian Pierce, Ryan Guthrie, um, and Darius Fagan are all on campus already. Uh, that's a big plus. Was that everybody? In terms of spring guys? I think so. Uh, I can double check. We have the walk-on kid from Holy Cross, too. Jesse Connors. But I'm not counting him at the moment, just because he's not scholarship. Yeah, uh, one second. 24-7 usually has this stuff updated yeah. pretty well I think in terms of who's they don't have enrolled. Fagan, they don't have Fagan as an enrollee yet. That's what okay, so... About. Yeah, they just have the two. So yeah, and then Fagan, we know. Um, yeah, uh, it was nice to get them, especially Pierce. Like, you know, he was obviously one of the bigger guys we're um, bringing in at all. And uh, to get him on campus. And, F- and Fagan, too, is one of the better undergrad uh, recruits, so... Good to get those guys in uh, and locked up and, and ready to go for the spring. And then, 
hopefully uh, we don't have too much more drama, although we have lost a few guys in recent weeks, which, you know, you have to expect it happens every year. Yeah, and once they get those types of... I mean, I don't know Daniel's situation, but I know Palmer's gotten a ton of SEC interest. I mean, he went to Tennessee last weekend. He's got some Penn State. He's got a Penn State offer now. Um, so, you know, th- those are the types of things that right now, at least, we're still not going to be able to compete with just yet. Um, down the line... Again, you, you, you turn this season into a bowl season or close to it, and turn the next season into a bowl season for sure. You keep growing what this team is and what the system is, and people see a proof of concept. Uh, that's when things change. Obviously, right now we're kind of uh, we're kind of just a, a promising animal. We're not we're not a proven one. Um, while you know brands like Penn State, who just got off a Rose Bowl bid, and Tennessee, who just got off a nine or ten win season, uh, you know teams like that obviously have a little bit more to give kids um even if the system isn't the same yeah uh i think penn state uh, not that we were like super battling penn state for a lot of guys i know we've won a couple of those over the years but um they've kind of been a a tier or two above us in recruiting for a while so i don't know how much of an issue that is maybe just makes a couple uh you know a couple of guys that we would have been involved with uh, a little harder to get but um overall like uh, and the UConn news might actually be even more interesting, but they're at least impactful in terms of, of guys that Syracuse go after, but they're still not... I mean, I don't think Edsel's going to bump their recruiting up to where Syracuse's is. Um, I just think UConn's a really hard situation, and uh, it's not like Edsel was really killing it in recruiting when he was there last time, when Syracuse and UConn were in the same, the same league. So, um, I think there's a pretty big distance. I think... I mean, even BC doesn't, like, recruit... I guess they're pretty similar in terms of like the, where the rankings are to Syracuse, but I think things are different enough there where it's like kind of weird that Syracuse's recruiting rivals really aren't totally the geographicals. Um, and not at all the basketball recruiting rivals. No, it's like it's a weird group of like as Maryland in there, like which I guess is kind of geographic based on where Syracuse has to recruit, and like you know a little bit of BC, but we really don't recruit that many of the same kids. Um, Pitt, I guess more. Uh, which makes sense, uh, and then you know, like the Indianas, the the I mean, everyone's down in Florida, so that's just a total crapshoot. But um, it is funny, like you know, when you cite like uh, the other Northeastern programs, a few of them that there are, like all the programs are so different now that it's it's really hard. And it'll be interesting to see what UConn does look like, at least because of uh, the Rat Lashley news, which I had actually forgotten about until just now. But either way, I don't think that's going to be a total game changer. Although they might be in the position to kind of. Uh, at least offer something not the same. The two offenses aren't like the same thing, but at least they're like similar enough where it's not like UConn's just going to be this like rock fight ground and pound team. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so I know Ari, and this is just kind of teaser stuff for the site. Ari's working on a piece about some of our recruiting targets and who's left and how many spots we have. I think we have like six or seven spots remaining. Um, so we do have some space. I don't know if we're necessarily going to fill them all at this point. Um, I know we've had, a lot of our visitors lately for football have been juniors, um, so the guys that are you know not ready to commit yet, um, but could be potential January enrollees next year. Um, it seems like we're we're doing well with those kids. Uh, we had a couple football visitors of late, um, but I don't think enough to fill all of these spots. Which I guess that's fine. Um, I'm not going to be overly you know at the end of the day. I, yeah, I, I'd love to have every roster spot be filled. I don't think we've had that in a while. Um, that's what happens when you have coaching change and attrition and personnel issues and guys not getting to campus. Um, 
hopefully that it all goes away soon and we can finally fill out a full roster of players. But uh, at the same time, like if we focus in on the kids that are still in the fold and guys that look like they're pretty fully committed, um, it's an exciting class. I mean, the first time in a while, Dan, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that like almost everybody's a three-star at least. Uh, DeVito obviously is a three or a four-star depending on who you ask. But yeah, th- th- this is this to me feels like our first true like power five class. Like it took us a while, but like here we are now with the, again, a, a class coming in that is largely three-star guys and guys who should be playing at, at not just at this level, um, but you know, in, in this conference and against these opponents, I feel like Schaefer had some of those guys, but others were, were stretch. I feel like before he uh, was let go, he was starting to bring in some guys like that. But it still wasn't to the, the, the numbers that we were kind of hoping for. But yeah, I feel like with Babers, um, he, he's definitely put an emphasis on on those types of guys. And then for the guys who aren't necessarily Power 5 guys, uh, just on their face, uh, they're guys that, that distinctly fit the system. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely take that um, over, you know, maybe trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. But because he has the quote-unquote stars or whatever, the, the offers that that we go after him instead. Yeah, I think the two that I can think of that are similar would probably be, and this is like talking about like signing day similar, um, the 2014 class, which was Schaefer's first full uh, cycle, um, which is a weird one because I feel like a lot of the best guys in that class never even came close to making it to campus or didn't, or flamed out when they got here or uh, the classes did not have a big impact. Um, I think we've actually, actually, which is part of the issue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which, like, isn't entirely Schaefer's fault or anything. It's just, like, it, bad luck slash miscalculations slash whatever else. Um, the whole George McDonald thing where, t- who knows, like, what... Yeah, just a lot would of still, issues. Would still murder me, I'm sure. <laughs> if he saw uh, me. Where is he now? Is he still... He's not still at NC State, is he? I think he is. Is he? I think I am. I'm almost positive he is. Huh. I don't know why. It's not like NC State's had, like, phenomenal receivers or anything. Like, other than McClendon, like, I can't really, like... Not McClendon. Who the hell? What's his name? The, the t- oh, uh, Samuels. Who was like? He still is at. He is still at NC State. Yeah, Samuels like the only like pass catcher that I'm like really raving about for them in the last couple of years. I mean, while he's been there, but they've also had a lot of turnover um, on the offensive side of the coaching staff. Yeah, um, including with Matt Canada now the 1.5 million dollar man at LSU. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. That class, and then uh, the twenty, then a couple years before, or actually, I guess a year before, the twenty twelve, what would have been the twenty thirteen Marone class, which was shaping up to be a really, really good class. That class would have been, then, would have qualified, and then some. Yeah, and 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 this will, you'll enjoy this. Um, that class would have been awesome, um, and then Marone left for Buffalo, and a lot of those big guys, including Gus uh, Edwards, left yeah. the class, and uh, he ended up going to Miami. Um, they had a couple other big, high-profile guys commit elsewhere, and then you know they salvaged it the best they could, but it was obviously not you know what it would have been. But I think that class, if Marone had stayed, would have been um, probably the best one Syracuse had had in a while. Um, instead, it was like there were some decent players, but it was you know it's always hard when you have a, a trip to leave. Um, the, those transition classes are always rough. We'll leave that late too, and I think that that was the difference. I think like Babers was able, able to salvage something decent out of last year because he pretty much just hit hard reset 
He knew the guys that he'd already, because he was a head coach already. He knew the guys that he had gone after for Bowling Green that he didn't have a shot at because he was at a Mac school. And he just got back in touch with a lot of those guys and was able to resurrect a class pretty much out of nothing that was hanging around the top 50 to 55, which I think was a modest goal and one that he hit and then some. Um, And to be honest, I know we've been critical of Schaefer. I think that Schaefer Schaefer would have been better off if Marone had left um, before the bowl game. But at the same time, I'm not sure Schaefer would have been the pick if Marone had left before the bowl game. Marone left right around the new year. That left about a month until National Signing Day. Bringing Schaefer on for a continuity hire was a good idea in theory. Um, but because Marone left so late and because he brought so many assistants with him, it wasn't in the cards for Schaefer to be able to, to really pull together a legitimate class. So there's two reasons why we didn't have a legit class for 2013. Um, and then obviously 2014 and 15, some miscalculations. A lot of guys didn't hit campus. A lot of guys have left since. Um, that's how we kind of end up with personnel issues. I actually think that um, the the remaining half of the 2015 class and then the 2016 class for Babers, um, at least right now, seem like building blocks toward us finally having a full roster for what feels like the first time in, I don't know, a decade and a half. Yeah, I think we were just getting there at the end of Maroon, and it just fell apart, obviously, because you had a, a short class. Um, and then I think, you know, if we had held on to Schaefer for another year, we probably would have gotten to like those numbers, but the quality wasn't there and the offense was a total mess and like the roster construction wasn't healthy. Right. So um, we're like kind of inching our way there. I think having a cohesive identity uh, on both sides of the ball, even Very if like healthy. the actual development isn't there helps a lot because then you know, like what guys are in what positions and who's playing where, um, where like even when Schaefer had numbers, you, you had guys recruited for like three or four different offenses. <laughs> Yeah, not helpful at all. Um, you hinted at Gus Edwards. I figured we'd kind of close out with that. Um, for those who didn't see on the site, uh, Gus Edwards announced that he was leaving Miami today. Uh, he was a pretty heralded guy coming in. He was a Syracuse commit until like late January um, of 2013, and then he chose between Miami and Florida State. He went with Miami. Um, he never really became this, the, the back that they thought he was going to be. Uh, that wasn't necessarily his fault. In 2015, he missed most of the season, if not the entire season. Um, he obviously had to battle with guys like Joe Yearby. Um, I, names escaped me on a couple other guys that he... Mark uh, Walton. Oh, yeah. um, I think, well, he actually was the main backup, I think, to uh, Duke Johnson yeah, uh, his yeah. freshman year. He was good when he, like, he's, it's weird, just he's been good when he's played. It's just like... Miami's backfield's been really loaded, and then he's also had injury issues. Right. Um, so, like, he end up. I think he's he's sitting at for his, uh, you know, Miami career. He's he's been around three hundred yards every uh, yeah nine seventy over three seasons, twelve touchdowns. His first two years, like he had sixty six carries for, you know, he's been over uh, over five yards a carry for his career. Um, a nice option near the end zone. Uh, Which, but there's great, always been a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah. It'd be nice considering, like, what the bat, the make. He would he'd be a nice compliment to the backfield. Um, I think he would add a lot because of the the bats we have on the team. Um, there just isn't a guy that quite runs like Edwards. Right, and to, to catch listeners up, and we, we addressed all this in the article too. Um, again, he was a Syracuse commit. He ended up flipping over to Miami. He's six one. He's two thirty. Uh, nobody on the on the team or incoming at the running back position w- would fit that bill. He's a fifth year transfer, so he'd be able to play right away. Um, again, three star guy out of high school. 
Um, and he was like a high three too. He was yeah. like one of those closer to like uh, closer to being a four than a lot of others. If you are into that, um, and Staten Island native, so he's a guy that you know he was he was part of that kind of you know Marone's focus on New York City uh, and the surrounding areas. Like he's a guy that that as soon as they saw the name and others put the two and two together as well, the fact that he was once committed, the fact that he's a New York State product, the fact that he'd get a lot of opportunities in this offense. I mean, it doesn't fix the offensive line issues overnight, but at the same time, like having a guy who really runs between the tackles the way Babers needs them to uh, would help this entire offense a ton. It would also free up Strickland or Neal, maybe both, uh, to split out wide, maybe play some of that insider receiver position that's going to get freed up uh, with um, Grizzly Esteem's graduation. So, yeah, we'll see. I think, uh, like you said and I said, I think uh, I think he would be a great addition. We haven't really heard any hard news about him coming here yet. This is all speculation, but um, hard, but fun speculation and speculation that um, lends itself to, to logic which is always preferred over, like, wild speculation. Yeah, I mean, it just it seems like it would make sense for both sides. Obviously, Edwards liked Syracuse enough. Obviously, a lot of that was Marone and, and Selmo and the staff. Um, but he liked Syracuse enough at a time to be... I, I, don't th- I think he would have made it here if Marone had stayed. I don't think there's any real question about that. It didn't seem like he was wavering until Marone left. Um, but And you have to assume, you know, if he's building a list of possible schools... Um, I don't see why Syracuse wouldn't be at least considered on there. Now, maybe he wants, uh, he doesn't want to head back up north. Maybe he wants to stay down in, I mean, I don't know where in Florida he would go. But, maybe he wants to face uh, Miami next year. If he wants to face Miami next year, in Miami, Syracuse would be a place he could go. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that's good for us, unless you have anything else, Dan. I know uh, you're going to end with Go Packers or something to that extent. Oh, yes, yes. Go Pack Go. Uh, I'm going to be a nervous record in on Sunday, and I look forward to it. As you should. I, uh, like I told Dan earlier, I wrote an article about the Atlanta Falcons today for the comeback. Uh, that was not an endorsement of the Falcons. Truth be told, I, uh, I am not rooting outwardly for either team, but I'm, I'm, I prefer the Packers because I hate the Patriots with a passion, and the Packers seem like the type of, uh, the type of unicorn that can beat the Pats in, in, in a one-game playoff. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, we'll, we don't have to dive, dive into this too much because we'll have a full off week if the Packers do make it for me to shove that down everyone's throat. Um, I think if you have the best quarterback in the game, you have a fair shot to win, and I think that the Packers are the best quarterback in the world. So, yeah, that. I would agree with you. Um, and on that note, uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. I hope your team does well this weekend. Yes, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, once again, go Pat, go. I look forward to all of your supportive tweets on Sunday while I'm in a fetal, in the fetal position on the couch. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299.
and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.